and welcome everyone to episode 216 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast. I'm James, joined by Ryan Top and maybe Paul. We're, we're waiting to see. He's got some, uh, you know, child emergencies, so he may be pulling him a tub here. We'll see. But Ryan, how are you doing? I am doing okay. I'm I'm doing all right. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate this time of year because it, there's yeah. just no sunlight. So I. I, you know, I drive to work in the dark and I come home from work with like fading light. So it just kind of sucks generally that way. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we're all just doing what we can to kind of get through these last couple of weeks of, of the year. And yeah, it's it's dark all the time. There's no baseball. Uh, everything is bad, especially the Packers special teams. We're doing this on Monday, so we didn't have to like get distracted by uh, some of the the horrific uh, special teams play we saw on Sunday night, but ain't it just like a Packer fan though to to like mention that up front? I, beyond the fact yeah. that they they crushed oh, the Bears, yeah, yeah. I mean they they dominated the Bears in that game. When yeah, it, they they killed them. But man, we got to have something to complain about because mm-hmm. what else are we doing? Yeah, <laughs> that is the most Packer yeah. fan response to that yeah. ever. Is be like those special teams sucked so much, and you know, I mean, yeah, fire time the team just all that. yeah, fairly handily won the game. Yeah, they're going to cruise to a division title, but uh, you know, Paul and the rest of the get reporting as eligible gang, they'll they'll tackle that on this week's podcast for sure. Uh, just kind of like they all had expected, not much of a game there, but uh, good to see the Packers walk away with a win. Uh, before we get started on the baseball talk, at least <laughs> what little baseball talk there is, because we're still in lockout land, uh, we want to just remind you that you can become a patron, help support us and the reporting as eligible gang. Go to patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month, you get to be our, our lowest level patron. You get that question priority both on this podcast and on that Packers reporting as eligible podcast. Five bucks a month, the next level up gets you some extra content. You get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson. Uh, looking like it might be the only baseball <laughs> being played mm-hmm. to start next year, at least. So you'll want to sign up for that. Uh, you also get Paul's reporting as eligible preview mini pods. He previews the Packers game every week uh, right before that game. Predictably, didn't have a lot of good things to say about the Bears, but did say, hey, they could surprise the Packers if, uh, you know, they had some fluky special teams things. And what do you know? That almost happened. So uh, or at least made that game as as a little bit closer than it should have been. So uh, you get those previews with Paul every single week too. Uh, all those things to look out for. On the baseball front, uh, I guess let's just dive in. Lockout continues. That means we have to do things like act interested in old trade rumors that we've seen for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess let's start with this one. In the last week, Joel Sherman, <laughs> you know, New York baseball writer, proposed a hypothetical trade between the Yankees and the Brewers. These are always fun from the New York perspective. Uh, it would be Lorenzo Kane for Aaron Hicks. Uh, but he also mentioned that the Brewers have had interest in Luke Voigt, the slugging first baseman in the past. So <laughs> I guess, Ryan, let's just start with if this were actually real, how quickly would you pull that trigger on a Hicks for Kane swap? Oh, no. Good God, no. Uh, it, Aaron Hicks is <laughs> always hurt. I've had him in my dynasty league for a couple of years now. Of Kane. Well, but not like Hicks is hurt. OK, like not right. not to that level. And Aaron Hicks also has. Uh, where's my where's my numbers here? Aaron Hicks is still owed for the next uh, four seasons ten million a year, and then he has a sure. team option uh, for the the year after that. So that takes him up through age thirty six. So you would be shedding basically no payroll. I mean, the Yankees would have to like throw in Luke Voigt and have to like I don't know all kinds of money to go with with Aaron Hicks. Who like I mean. If we look at what Hicks has done the last couple of years, um, let's see here. So he did actually play a reasonably full season in the shortened season. He had 211 plate appearances in 54 games in 2020. But in 2019, he played 59 games. In 2021, he played 32 games. Now, right. Lorenzo Cain is is better than that in that he's actually able to, to get on the field and he's also cumulatively making more money next year but then you're out from under that obligation and you don't have to deal with it in right. the future so i don't know what exactly the yankees would have to do to make that work but good lord i 
I want no part of Aaron Hicks at that contract. Now, if you could get Aaron Hicks on like, you know, a, a, a $2 million deal and take that upside. Great. That'd be fantastic. But that's not what we're looking at. So, yeah, it, yeah. that's a that's a no go for me. Big time. No go. I did forget that he he had his one healthy season like ever and then cashed in, right? Was that mm-hmm. about it? Was that the contract year? He he finally stayed healthy, finally became something for the Twins, and then the Yankees just snatched him right up again, and then he went back to being hurt. Well, I mean, he had his two best seasons with the Yankees in 17 and 18, though that Got first it. year in 17, it was only – uh, 361 plate appearances. So he, he didn't even play that much. 88 games. He's a part-time yeah. player. 2018 was his best season to date. He played 137 games that year. 581 plate appearances. Put up a 127 OPS plus. Like the, he was a very good player for that year. But beyond sure. that, like he, he just hasn't been healthy. He, <laughs> going back to his Twins days, right. he's just never healthy. Yeah. So. And it seems like they just swapped out that problem for Byron Buxton and his like when he's healthy, he's good, but he's never healthy. Right. Right. But at least the twins were able to keep him from walking away. So there's something there at least. But yeah, big mm-hmm. time gamble there. Um, and and yeah, I think from the Yankees perspective, right, this is all about kind of getting out from under that Hicks contract or it would be, and just kind of trying to clear money as, as quick as you can because the Yankees are just trying to stay under that luxury tax threshold and, and clear bad contracts. And From the Yankees' perspective, Joel Sherman had a column to write. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, you know, I, I can't get too down on him because, you know, everybody has columns to write these days, and there's nothing to do, like I said, but kind of make up bullshit rumors and and try to get get something together and to, i mean to shit, we're about, here talking know? about it so <laughs> yeah i guess it couldn't have been that stupid there you go all right well how about luke voigt then uh obviously kind of has his warts but would bring some of that power that the brewers are kind of missing right yeah and he's definitely a guy that you're more interested in if we do think that there's going to be a DH. And did you catch right. that MLB took off the table, off the negotiating table, rules changes? Because I did. No. Yeah, they did. They took that off the table because I think the players were like, oh, here's some things. If you want this, if you want that, you can give us concessions and we're going to use that to try to get, you know, financial concessions and things. And basically the owners are trying to do everything they can to avoid giving financial concessions. Their basic position here has been we uh, like the way things are because we roasted your ass, especially in the last CBA, but really the two CBAs, the last two CBAs. And so we're we're happy with what we've got. And the players are like, no, no, no. So that's where this thing sort of stands. And uh, to your point about Luke Voigt, uh, I mean, if there's a DH, which seems less likely, it'd be fine. But again, I, I feel like this is the sort of thing that the Brewers have this finding this profile is not all that hard, right? Like you have a guy who last year struck out 74 times in 241 plate appearances and 510 plate appearances. I guess in 19, he was a lot better 142 strikeouts, but like, yes, he put up some serious power numbers in 2020, but he's also now a first baseman who is um, right, right. And he's on the wrong side of 30. So mm-hmm. the the Brewers just like find those guys when they don't require taking like a bad contract of Aaron Hicks. So I don't see how that would really appeal to the Brewers. I think it would be very on the Stearns. They would have to feel like Luke Voigt is a potential monster for them to do that. And I just I don't see what good evidence there would be to suggest that. Yeah, I mean, if if you're trying to talk yourself into this, right, there are some positive factors here. He's got three more years of team control left, so there's that. He could be a decent 
right-handed platoon partner with Rowdy Telez, but as we've talked about, Rowdy's splits also not that bad uh, for a left-handed hitter against lefties. We actually have a question about that coming up later. So yeah, I, I think I'm with you. It, sure, it'd be nice to have some you know potential 30 home run pop there, but uh, the Brewers have kind of shown a really good ability, as you've said, to to find these guys wherever they are, and you know there's just a giant plethora of of right-handed hitting mashers that they could probably plug in there right and hell if you want a right-handed batter that'll strike out a ton with power potential maybe it's Keston Hira too and you don't have to take anything on to get him right so I I don't right. know <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah I, I mean but obviously because Luke Boyd plays for the Yankees he's a name that some people might recognize and and be more attractive that way but that's just the way new york operates right they think everybody is more famous and better just because they played for the yankees and everyone will take their crap but i I mean obviously the yankees are down on luke voigt too because they went out and got anthony rizzo at the deadline last year they were brought up with freddie freeman and, and all sorts of other first base options so obviously they're not very high on him as well it'd be kind of you know it would have to be as a throw into something else, right? It, it's not going to be the centerpiece of a Lorenzo Cain trade or what have you. So, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, outside of that, we do have some Patreon questions to get to. A reminder, you get that question priority. Our first question comes from who else but Jay Google. Uh, talking about a uh, piece here that Jason Stark had in The Athletic. I think it was today. If not today, then then recently as we record this on Monday. Uh, basically proposing uh, overhauling the draft to to quote-unquote fix tanking because we're still talking about that. And, and so Jay's question is, just how ridiculous was Jason Stark's piece on doing a reverse draft order to prevent teams from tanking? So, yeah, Jason Stark's idea, basically taking, what, everybody who doesn't make the playoffs and giving the team with the best record the number one pick as opposed to the worst record. How bad of an idea is this, Ryan? Well, I think Andy Schaff summed it up best on Twitter that he can't wait for the next time that there is a like generational Bryce Harper type talent where everybody knows this guy is a superstar in the making and that guy is available uh, to whoever gets the number one pick and they're going into the final weekend and the question is, do you want to win the games and make the playoffs and get you know a road playoff game uh, one game shot to to make it or do you want the potential generational talent in your <laughs> squad and watch what would happen in that case and how like absolutely insanely you think that like the the tanking thing now offends people on a more granular level but like if you think about it nobody's paying attention to those teams at the end of the season my brother who is a cubs fan used to joke about this with me were during the cubs tanking that the cubs would would like do things to be kind of competitive and be kind of good up through about the trade deadline and then they were really good in september at just finding the ways to lose every goddamn game and they would <laughs> they were they were intentionally like in september they were shutting down all their starters uh, they were doing everything they could, and they would they would end up with these terrible records in September, and end up with high draft picks, which is how they ended up you know, picking Chris Bryant at number two. So, yeah, that like at least in that case, it's kind of off. It's out of the spotlight. But imagine a team where everybody starts questioning: Did that team just like? intentionally lose games to potentially get you know Bryce Harper the second I mean this this would be a level of scandal that that would actually be a real scandal as opposed to this tanking thing which is really and I've been meaning to bring this up on this podcast and I I guess you know without Paul here and and needing to fill some airtime I can do it now and kind of get my point across on this the tanking thing is complicated because there have always been bad teams in baseball in fact you know for every uh, game that a team wins, a team has to lose that game too. So there's always going to be bad teams. And there have been long histories in baseball of teams not just tanking because they were trying to be good in a certain amount of time, but tanking because their owners just didn't give a shit or they were actually in cahoots with the Yankees, like the the uh, um, Kansas City uh, A's 
teams that were just like literally using their team to as a farm system for the New York Yankees because there were owners who owned both teams. They were they were partial owners of literally both teams. <laughs> so there's this whole history of this. It, the the Philadelphia A's going back to the Connie Mack days. Connie Mack in the, very famously in the in the Ken Burns documentary, they talk about this that Connie Mack was like my ideal season and Connie Mack is revered revered as like an old gentleman of the game but he also owned the team and so he said that his best season was one where the the team would do good and would be in contention throughout most of the season and then would fade down the stretch because you didn't have to give players raises and you could trade away players at for <laughs> and sell players away to uh because nobody cared because, you know, you're a fifth place team or whatever. So selling away good players didn't didn't raise people's ire. That has always been part of the game. And frankly, baseball, I mean, we've talked about this for years, James. Baseball is more cyclical than a lot of sports. There are definitely yeah. time periods where it goes through and especially with our current financial system where you're rewarded for having good young players who are cheap. And that is that is the most prized asset in all sports. But in baseball, you're given an especial advantage for it, you know. So this is always going to be part of the deal. And and frankly, the tanking thing I've always thought is somewhat overrated in terms of people getting upset about it and, and yeah. thinking that it's a problem. Now, what I will say, and this is hearkening back to a point that J.P. Breen always used to make on this podcast, which was. Yes, there, there's a lot of truth to that, but what you would like to see is teams that are in those down periods using some of that financial wherewithal, using some of that ability to spend that they they clearly have but are not exercising to pick up players in free agency that they could then trade to add to their core of of players going forward and a lot of teams just spit on those opportunities now some teams don't some teams have been pretty good about it um not the pirates not so much the orioles they've been bad mm -hmm. about it but the marlins mm -hmm. last year they went out and spent a decent amount of money on some complimentary players and i think they traded away a few of them towards the deadline when they were pretty clearly out of it so there's there's ways to do this to lose and to use money to improve your future. There, there's definitely ways to do that. But that that isn't done as much as it should. But you're never going to get away from this idea of tanking as a, uh, as, as a thing because there's always going to be bad teams. And they're always going to need to do things to get back up on their feet. Right? Right. Yeah, it... This whole idea of the the reverse draft order is just kind of kind. Of, I'm with you that it, it it would create more problems than it's probably worth, and it does create that scenario where teams may actually try to lose on purpose as opposed to not trying, right? And those are two different things, and mm -hmm. losing on purpose also becomes a huge deal when the league is getting further and further into this marriage with sports gambling. And we saw this point brought up with the, you know, controversy or the scandal of the league secretly using two different baseballs <laughs> this past year, apparently mm -hmm. uh, was that business insider or somebody who broke that story. Um, uh, William and, Bradford Davis. Yep. Yeah. So, and that is the huge issue that I think is kind of, not being talked about and maybe coincidentally this idea comes out as the league is trying to maybe quiet that other story down um if you want to get into conspiracy theories and all that stuff but i mean i i generally respect jason stark i just think he's off the mark here i think he's he's throwing out an idea that has merit to it but ultimately this thing just it doesn't fly and i think that beyond what we've already talked about where there's this this disincentive uh, to win in that, you know, potentially down the stretch in a big game with the, the spotlight on. And that would be the worst case scenario for baseball. Right. There's also this problem where really and I, I mentioned this on Twitter and I, I got a rare retweet. Paul doesn't usually retweet me. He retweeted this, though, <laughs> where I said that uh, <laughs> where I said that. Uh, 
basically the only legitimate purpose that drafts serve is to give the worst teams a chance at the top talent so that you can achieve a competitive cycle, right? That you can, the, the bad teams have a way to dig themselves out. And there's something pushing the, the good teams down as well because they don't then have access to that top talent. Right. Other than that, if you get rid of that incentive, if you get rid of that, the only thing drafts are good for is suppressing player salaries. And that part of it sucks. And like, it is absolutely ridiculous. So the only thing that's useful about drafts is to make sure that teams have chances. Now, do I want to reward the Pittsburgh Pirates of the world for their penurious ways and and just, you know, putting together an absolute joke of a team and 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 doing a rebuild? No. But part of me also says, well, we've been there before, right? We the Brewers have been there and we've had We've had we've never had owners that were purely shitty like this. We we were pretty <laughs> right. well off. We went from and this is a, a long standing beef of mine. Bud Selig, if people don't realize this, but the Brewers were in the one of the top spenders in baseball in the early eighties. And then the cable money came into the game. And once the cable money came into the game, there was just no way the Brewers were gonna spend with the New York Yankees, who just had oodles more money at that point. Sure. And but Bud was still putting together competitive teams for the most part about a, into the time that he took over as the commissioner, and then he turns it over to his daughter, and that's when yeah, a lot of people Wendy, really, <laughs> yeah, well, people hold that against her. But the thing about that was they were that was a tough situation. They were they were like every other small market trying to figure out a way to make this work, right? They were trying to figure out a way with the the money that was coming into the big markets was so outstripping what they had that they needed to find a way around it. And they never really got their footing under themselves in that time period. And I think that part of that is they just, you know, like they weren't brilliant tacticians. But mm. that's kind of what it would have taken for them to do it. And then they turned it over to Antonazio, who has been willing to spend a lot more and has also been pretty smart about what he's done in general. Like I, there's some stuff at the very beginning I would argue with, but it has been a pretty good owner. So it's kind of one of those situations where I look at the Pirates and I go, well, they're but for the grace of God go, you know, I, the Brewers fan. So I don't want to say that, like, no, we should we should keep them in their pit forever because they're not going to spend money like you. You go in your hole and you stay there. Yeah. Take that, Bob Nutting. Yeah, exactly. But I I don't know. Yeah. It, there's got to be a better idea to you know, to try to encourage those teams to just be fun. You know, if you're going to suck, at least be fun. That's the thing. And I think that's what I have more of a problem with. Like, if you're not trying hard to win, whatever, but at least show some young talent, do something, give, give us something to watch instead of just being blah. <laughs> you know, and that's that's the worst thing about the Pirates is being blah. What I want is a team that's either aggressively pursuing winning now or aggressively pursuing winning in the future. Yeah. And when I say aggressively, I mean doing things, active things to try and make that happen. Don't just passively be like, we're going to be shit and collect top draft picks. That's not right. That's not active. That's not, you know, what the Brewers were doing so much of in 2016, 2017, the early years of Stearns. They were they were running out a lot of guys and, and taking a lot of chances on guys to see and you know making trades like the, the Travis Shaw thing. And they were they were doing a lot of things and, and taking shots to see if they could speed up their their timeline. And turns out they were able to do that very successfully. So that's what I want is teams. I want an incentivization of teams being aggressive in whatever they're doing and not just being passive and cashing their their revenue uh, sharing checks because that's bullshit. I guess speaking of taking shots, you know, it, it's something Stearns and, and Matt Arnold continue to do. You know, it, it's a super important thing for a team like the Brewers to do or other small market teams continue to try to find those lottery tickets and spend those off and counter build, as we say. So uh, Jay's got another question here about minor league signings. The Brewers have made a slew, obviously, and minor league signings can still go on during the lockout as long as they're not a 40 man roster spot so 
Uh, Jay is asking, any minor league signees interest you? Also, how many former Astros first basemen are we going to sign this offseason? <laughs> of course, this comes after uh, they signed in the last week Tyler White, who had spent some time with the Astros, and then uh, former top prospect John Singleton. There's a name I haven't seen in a good three or four years, Ryan. <laughs> I, I'm i just charmed by the whole Jonathan Singleton thing because it's so relatable. The guy the guy cashed in and then basically smoked himself on a baseball because he he's just he like signed that ten million dollar deal. It's like I got ten million dollars and for it. Yeah. yeah, it just uh you know went to town on on, on the bud. So uh, you know have you seen him now though? So he led the Mexican leagues in home runs last year, and that dude is like Eric Thames ripped now. Did you see any of those? Oh, pictures? is he? Because the last picture I'm looking at is the one on Baseball Ref, where he looks, um, well, he looks a lot like me, James. No, <laughs> he's, he's he's beefy. <laughs> he's, a, he, he, he's a beefy boy. He's looking more Eric Thames beefy than uh, Ryan Top beefy right now. Okay, uh, well go, that's that's go cool. Go look up a picture of him from the last year. He played in Mexico, mashed a bunch of home runs. Uh, possibly could be fun. So, hey, why not? You know, always take a risk on pedigree, as we say, right? Those former draft pick, first round draft picks and bonus babies and such will always get the benefit of the doubt. Because Oh, boy, I mean, look at that. 321, yeah. 503. 503. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, did they skip his on? Ba- oh, no, that's not his slugging. That's not base. That's on base. 693. <laughs> um, yeah, sign me up. Sign me up for this, dude. <laughs> And Mexico yeah. is officially a triple A league. Now the talent there is actually below that level. But okay. yeah, I mean, there there are dumber things to do than this. And you know, Stearns has a history with uh with him. Obviously, they were both in, in Houston around the same time. And so yep. Stearns has to have a pretty good feel for what uh what is going on here and that he this guy's probably decided he would, you know, maybe that money's run low or he's just decided, no, I'd, I'd, I'd rather go and mash baseballs than uh, smoke my brains out all day. So uh, I, uh, I I approve. This is a this is a very interesting signing, even if the overwhelming likelihood is it comes to very little. Yeah, but it's you know, it's definitely worth the shot. Yeah, he, he should hope that he gets added to the 40 man roster uh, once things unlock because then he is not subjected to the marijuana testing. Uh, but I, I mean, we've seen Stearns and, and every, and the Brewers do this pretty regularly recently, you know, like last year they signed Dylan cousins, another former post hype prospect with a ton of power that can't do much else. Right. Like it's worth it just to take a spring training flyer on these guys. And if they get hot in in March, maybe they parlay that into a good start of the year. And then you can kind of plug up, first base for a month or two you know so it mm. doesn't hurt you anything and it, it it gives us something fun to talk about on in the middle of december uh as we as we kind of wait for things to to unravel here with the the labor talks mm-hmm. all right our our next patreon question it comes from adam post adam's asking early guess for who starts the most games in center field for the brewers this season uh, including players currently not on the Brewers. So I guess we, we brought up Lorenzo Cain at the top here. Uh, either, you know, he even if he's not going to get traded, he has clearly missed a ton of time the last couple of years. So I guess, Ryan, do you think it's it's him making the most starts in center field, Tyrone Taylor, or somebody else? No, my money's on Lorenzo Cain because... Without having Jackie Bradley Jr. there, that makes him sort of the default guy. And he was losing a little bit of time in center to Jackie Bradley Jr. They were shuffling around a little bit there. Though it really was mostly his missed time. I think we need to to reframe here and remember that Lorenzo Cain was a pretty decent hitter last year. He hit 257, yeah. 329, 401. It's a 95 OPS plus along with his good defense at center. That's an above average player. So... Mm-hmm. Yes, he's going to be limited, and he might need to miss a bunch of time again. That very well might happen, and that that would be the reason that he doesn't make the most starts, I think, more than anything. Right. But my guess is that I don't see them handing over the the reins to anybody else full-time and him getting that run because, like, if Tyrone Taylor were to get 
a lot of run in center field. I think it would also be getting run in some other positions, being a fourth outfielder. So I don't think he would have the chance to go buy it and and dominate that that number. And I think you mm-hmm. would see them pick up other guys. You'd see them do other things as well. So I just think that the overwhelming likelihood is that it's going to be Kane. I would I would put a substantial amount of money on that. I think it's you know at this point with the roster the way it is. I mean we're still far away. I would. I mean, I'd be willing to give somebody if somebody wanted to take somebody else other than Kane, I'd be willing to give them like three to one odds. So, <laughs> yeah, it it's just hard to think of who else it might be. Right. And maybe it's just the fact that we, we can't really think creatively right now while everything's locked out and we don't even really know what the other options could be mm-hmm. externally. But given the internal options, like you said, already traded away JBJ. So that takes away one one factor taking away Kane's starts in center. Um, I, I think I would go with him as opposed to the field. Maybe if we, if we bring back the prop bets next March, if there's baseball, we have this question and we'll see what we say. Mm-hmm. But as and of it right could now, change depending on what they add. Right. Like this is all contingent on. But where they stand right now, like, I think this is this is instructive. Think of it this way. If Tyrone Taylor and Lorenzo Kane are both starting a game, is there any chance that Tyrone Taylor is the one in center and not Kane? No, no, that's not happening. Right. That's true, too. And, you know, looking at some of the other minor league names that they added, you know, roster resource <laughs> helping me out here. Uh, Garrett Whitley signed in the last week. Don't think he's a serious threat. We've got Abraham Almonte. We mentioned him a week or two ago. There's David Dahl, but he's more of a corner guy. And then you're down into, you know, the double A level. Garrett Mitchell, it it would take a lot and for him to make a right. debut and, and have a run at that title, right? So um, the only way Garrett Mitchell's doing it is if he has an insane explosive first couple months to the season. And Lorenzo Cain gets hurt very early on and isn't able to put right. up any numbers. And Mitchell overtakes him or over, you know, it becomes the everyday center fielder in the second half. That's just a, a, a case of a lot of things needing to happen to make that work. It's going to have to be somebody off the roster. I, I can't see yeah. Mitchell or Tyrone Taylor getting more starts in center next year than a healthy Lorenzo Cain. Right. And and I don't doubt that they're going to add somebody once things open back up again, but it, it's just, I don't know whoever that person is. If I would make that bet on them making 50, 60, 70 starts or whatever it is that, you know, ends up taking the cake in the event that Lorenzo Kane doesn't play the full year. So I don't know. Um, moving on, we've got PJ Wessels. He's asking, who are the major platoon candidates in the lineup currently? Rowdy was less extreme than I thought. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, we we talked about this during the regular season, too. Against lefties, he's actually pretty solid as far as lefty-lefty goes. He's got, a, I guess, a 755 OPS and 98 WRC plus against lefties, which, you know, all things told, not bad for same-sided lefty hitter. So... I guess, Ryan, if it's not Rowdy, where do you see the platoon spots in the Brewers lineup potentially? Catcher. Like, that's really the spot where you're going to see it. Uh, don't know who exactly the backup is going to be. Probably uh, Severino, right? Yeah. But, yep. uh, yeah, that that is just a natural because Omar is the guy who's the lefty, so you can lean heavy side platoon there. Uh, I would say somebody like Luis Urias could be, but... I don't see him being the weak side of the platoon, at least to start the season. He'd have to crash. He'd have to really have his numbers come tumbling back to earth early. And then you'd have to see some some things there. Uh, Colton Wong, maybe uh, in terms of uh, losing some time to uh, against lefties. I could see maybe some of that. Like Definitely the days you give Colton Wong off would be days when lefties are starting, but I don't think he'd be a platoon guy. To be clear, I don't think that's how you do that. So I don't know. I, at this point, I doubt that we're going to see much of that. Uh, You know, though, Jace Peterson is there and Jace Peterson is going to see a lot of plate appearances against left or against right-handed pitchers as a lefty Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. doing what he does. So, 
that makes a lot of sense. Tyrone Taylor slugging against uh, lefties. I think you could see, you know, Tyrone Taylor is going to see a lot more time against left-handed starters than he is against right-handed starters. That's, that's for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of it at this point. I mean, if we had something weird where like Jonathan Singleton did break in, yeah, it, that would probably be a platoon situation, but who knows exactly how that's going to shake out. And it all depends on what happens with the DH as well. So th- that's right. going to throw another, you know, whole, uh, not wrench into the situation, but a level <laughs> of complication into the situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it does become something you have to factor into and it's just kind of hard to plan right now. And, you know, we we've talked about this for the last year or two too, right? It, it's it's tough to be running a team and be in mid-December, even you know the years where there's not a lockout, and not know what the rules for next year are going to be, and that severely impacts what teams plan for and what what teams do. So, you know, if if there is a DH, maybe the Brewers, you know, figure they have okay, cool, we have Keston, we can slide him in there to start or or rotate that spot or whatever, or does it become a, a bigger platoon situation too? And so, yeah, I, I think you're right that I don't know. We're going to see that many strict platoons, but definitely give the lefties their rest against lefty starters, including, like you said, Narvaez Wong, uh, you know, maybe we, we talked about when the Brewers traded for Hunter Renfro, he, mashes 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 lefties not so great against righties so maybe that's a softish platoon mm-hmm. uh but again you kind of need somebody to fill that roster spot we're, we're not sure what the reserve outfield's gonna look like here mm-hmm. maybe you give christian yelich some off days against lefties i don't know but um yeah, it's hard to see an obvious spot here, which I guess you could argue is an improvement over the last winter or two, right? Where, you know, what year was that where we're talking is Stearns trying to platoon the entire roster, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're a bit removed from that, which, you know, I think a lot of people like to see, you know, platoons work great, but at the same time, we all get a little bit nervous, right? Because they're so contingent on a lot of things. And I guess we'll see how that plays out. Uh, one last Patreon question to get to. It's Ted Johnson. He has a message for Paul, but Paul is still dealing with kid emergencies. So we'll skip over that portion of Ted's question. Uh, he's asking uh, also, where do you guys stand on the DH coming to the, to the NL? I'm sure you've talked about it before, but hey, it's a lockout. So I guess on the topic of the DH and the NL, Ryan, how do you feel about? We already really hit this one. Yeah, we already really talked about it. But yeah, just to to kind of reiterate, I think that it's headed that way and it's going to happen. But I don't know that it's going to happen now, which is unfortunate because I've been waiting to see it. But it is how things go. I don't know. Maybe they'll come around on that. There, there's a lot Maybe. of time to talk about it. <laughs> and it's a relatively minor issue that both sides right. kind of want. That's what's so disgusting about this is yeah. I was listening to Eugene Friedman, uh, who's very, very good at, at explaining this stuff. He was talking about you know, one of the things that happens early on in any CBA negotiation is teams just sort of uh, look at what they don't want to change. And they look at what they do want to change and see where the points of agreement are so they can just take those things off the table and make things less complicated. And it's like ownership in this case looks at that and they go, nah, we we want to leave that level of complication in here. And it's just kind of disgusting because the players are like, you want it. We want it. Let's just do it. And the owners are like, no, you got to give us something for it. Right. So that's just, yeah, annoying and disgusting. But. It it's coming. I don't know that it's going to happen this time, but I I guess if I had to bet the next time that the Brewers take the field, they'll have a DH. If I'm betting, you know, one way or another, I I would say they'll they'll have the DH. Yeah, it. Like we've said before, and, and Ted, you're right. We've talked about this before, but I think we all kind of settled on it too. Like you said, Ryan, both sides want it. 
the players obviously want it. It's another, you know, guaranteed roster spot or spot in the lineup, another opportunity for uh, guys to make money who otherwise may have been stuck on the bench. Owners want it because it's actually popular with fans. People love it. They love offense. They don't like pitchers, you know, giving up that free out, not even trying at the plate. It's just bad entertainment product. So owners want it too. And that's why this is so dumb. (laughs) It's just, you know, you see the little inspirational things on Instagram where it's like, take the wins, little wins every day. Just take this freaking win. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, we agree on this. Make that a starting point, a basis for agreement, and move on. But no, because this is baseball, and both sides are, well, no. It's mostly the owners are just being assholes about the negotiation and don't want to give up anything for free in their eyes. And so we're stuck with this stupid rule. Mm-hmm. I guess <laughs> I guess that's where we land on that, Ted. Uh, and I'm looking forward to more philosophical questions like this for the next five months because there won't be any baseball (laughs) i guess uh speaking of hypotheticals we do also have twitter questions too a reminder even if you're not a patron shoot us a question at mke tailgate when we make that call for questions we'll try to get to it if we have time and since we're kind of flying through the rundown today we do have time for a couple so here is marcus horton at marky marco three on twitter Uh, They're asking, just saw a mock trade proposal that would have the Brewers acquire Josh Donaldson from the Twins in exchange for Bryce Terang. If you're the Brewers, would you approve or decline? I feel like Josh Donaldson somebody we probably talked about at the deadline a few months ago. Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong. You're not a fan of that contract, but if it's just Bryce Terang going back, what would you think? Well, remember, I am the world's foremost lover of Bryce Terang. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, but, prospect. Player. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in that is that is how I roll. But I will say, so Josh Donaldson is now two years into a four-year contract with this option for uh, the fifth year. And last year, he was pretty solid. Like, I can't really complain. Donaldson put up uh, 3.2 wins, more than earning that $20 million price tag. So what this would come down to is a number of things. First off, I don't do this unless you know you have a DH. Okay? Sure. That is point 1. Not even necessarily that Donaldson is going to spend all or even most of his time at the DH, but you need that added level of flexibility because I definitely do not want to see Luis Urias getting shunted aside, and if you're juggling those guys around with Donaldson maybe playing a couple 2-3 days a week in the field and then the rest of the time at DH, that I could see really working. Also, I'm going to need the Twins to pick up a, a chunk of that money. And it, especially if they want to get a prospect the caliber of Terang back. Um, and yes, I know that people are going to be like, oh, yeah. Bryce Terang is a borderline <laughs> top 100 guy. Okay. He's a borderline top 100 guy. And he's going to play for a while in the major leagues. He's going to be a, at the very least, sort of a useful utility infielder who brings above average defense and some offensive skill set that is going to make him playable uh, in, in a role, you know, maybe at the bottom of a lineup, uh, maybe even in his best times at the top of a lineup, getting on base. He's he's has those skill sets, so he's not lighting the world on fire and he's not a guy that you necessarily want to keep. But if you want to get somebody the caliber of or sorry, if you want to dump Donaldson's salary, if they're trying to dump Donaldson's salary, uh, they either need to aim lower than Bryce Terang or they need to kick in a significant amount of that money. And then it all comes down to budgetary stuff like how much money are the Brewers actually planning to spend? Right. Sure. If the the budget is going to go, you know, up over 130 million and they can do some stuff, I could see this making a lot of sense. Uh, if the Brewers are not planning on doing that much budgetarily, then this is going to be a lot harder to do unless the twins are willing to pick up a lot of that money. And I can't see how they would. I would think that if they're doing this, they're doing it to clear some salary. Right. Because they certainly don't need to get rid of Josh Donaldson. He was just fine for them last year. You know, 3.2 wins, you know, baseball reference. That's, that's a, a solid player. So uh, the caveat on this one is, yes, I'm very interested in this sort of a deal, but the, it's going to take some some circumstances being correct for it to make sense. Sure. 
And I think the big one, like you mentioned, is the DH too, just because he's a guy who's like gotten hurt pretty frequently over the last three or four years. And you kind of need that spot to keep him fresh, keep his legs fresh, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm with you. I think playing him in the field five days a week, recipe for disaster. We've seen it doesn't really work. You know, this was a good year for him and he only played on in 135 games, right? So, um, you know, he, he, and he's 35 already. So you're going to need that DH spot, I think, just to keep him fresh. With that said, I've loved John Donaldson for like five years now. So I would love to see him in a Brewers uniform. He, again, provides that power that the Brewers are sorely lacking. Definitely would be a very welcome addition to the middle uh, of that lineup. But like you said, it's a lot of money to try to fit into whatever the Brewers decide their budgetary constraints are for the next year. And you really do need that DH spot. And this is another example of it's really hard to kind of think even hypothetically about these things without knowing what the rule is going to be in the next year or two. So I, for me, I'd have no problem giving up Bryce Terang for Josh Donaldson, but I'm probably less optimistic about Bryce Terang than you are, Ryan. And I, I just like players like Josh Donaldson better than I like players like Bryce Terang. It's just a personal preference thing, but you know, um, yeah, it's like I said, I would, I would do this trade. It's just, there would have to be some circumstances that need to be right. I would need to know the budget was going to be relatively high and I would need to uh, have the DH to be able to use. Right. And I think it's a little bit easier to think about trading Bryce Terang too, knowing that, you know, Willie Adamas is locked down for the foreseeable future too. And, you know, Colton Wong is going to be here for another year or two. You've got Urias who's kind of starting to show things. So you're less worried about covering that middle infield spot too. And maybe you can use that to fill another hole in the lineup. And Josh Donaldson might be a, a good use of that. So, all right. One last Twitter question. It comes from PJ's Equinemius St. Brown Stan account. I love that name. <laughs> Emergency P uh, on Twitter. Emergency P on Twitter. Uh, love me some good EQ. I'm still stashing up on my Dynasty League team three years later, just hoping he does something. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, he's going to be huge next year when Devontae leaves. Just wait. Anyway, um, so the question here is, is there any hope that Yelly and or Keston here get back to at least being halfway decent hitters? Again, maybe a topic we've we've danced around a few times, but hey, it's a lockout, Ryan. So any hope for either one of those? Okay, so here's where I'm going to get up on my soapbox and I'm going to give a little lecture to uh, PJ's Equinemius St. Brown Emergency P account here. Um, <laughs> putting these two players in the same category is not correct. They, they, they are nothing like each other in this regard. Um, Keston Hero last year was one of the worst players uh, regular players in baseball when he played and was truly truly awful he put up a 49 ops plus he was over 50 percent under the league average at first base in terms of hitting like that is truly truly horrific as bad as christian yelich's season was last year and as much as it didn't meet our high expectations of him coming off of you know back-to-back basically mvp seasons in 2018, 2000, and, or yeah, 2018, 2019, before the knee injury, he still put up a 99 OPS plus. He was basically average. Now, in left field, you expect more than that, and especially at that price tag, you definitely expect more than that. But Christian Yelich was down and had a bad year. Keston here had just had a disaster. Keston Hero's situation is so much further past where Yelich is in terms of the disastrous proportions of it. And yes, the reason that this comes up is because Yelich looked so bad at the very end of the season, and that is him looking absolutely helpless and hopeless against Atlanta Braves' mediocre pitching. Like, I, I, it's not mediocre, but against... You know what was what was not serious, man. Yeah. Well, come on now. (laughs) They they they're pitching. He he looked really helpless against pitchers who aren't the very very best pitchers in the game. 
Uh, so yeah, that that like leaves a bad impression and a bad taste in everybody's mouth. But Yelich is so much further ahead of where Hira is that this isn't really uh, a comparison. Now, to answer the actual question, now that I've lectured, <laughs> God, <laughs> to answer uh, yeah. the actual question, the teacher's coming out now. Yeah, okay. like, come yeah. on now. <laughs> so, to answer the actual question, um, yeah, I still have a decent amount of hope for both of them. The problem is primarily with Hira that just now that he is going to be a a first baseman slash DH maybe left fielder, I don't even know, like exactly where he can play. The bar for his offense is so high that he's going to need to really hit to be a good player because he's not going to be at second base anymore. Like we've that that ship has sailed. Okay, that is that is gone. That is done. He's not going to be a second baseman. That just makes it harder for him to, you know, hit the bar offensively at wherever he is going to play. But we've seen him in the major leagues not that long ago absolutely torch pitchers. And there's been a variety of things that he has been dealing with that you could say, I don't know how much this stuff with his mom affected him, but there is a distinct possibility that it was quite a bit and that that caused him to really have kind of a a hard time investing, concentrating, whatever. and and there's also if you flip over to Yelich, there's also all the stuff Paul has talked about where, like, he was very good and was very successful, and there's probably still that guy in there uh, if he can get over the mental hurdles that we think are are the main issue here, where he's just not wanting to pull the ball with authority anymore and attack uh, pitches on the inside half the way he was when he was right when it, when things were going well for him. Uh, in the way that he ended up breaking his knee. So I I think that there is significant reason to hope that both of them are quite a bit better than what we saw this year. But if I'm putting money on one of them to be a true bounce back and like be an impact guy for the Brewers anytime in the foreseeable future, uh, 100% Yelich. Like put my money on Yelich every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Doomsday scenario, though, what if Yelich's back is just screwed? What's easier to see being fixed? Yelich's physical issues or Hira's mental mechanical issues? Well, if that is what's happening, and the Brewers told us it wasn't. And I don't know. Sure, do we have any teams re- are always honest. Well, but teams do are we always honest about the health pull, of their players? But do we have any reason to think they aren't? Is David Stearns, would David Stearns go out and say that if it wasn't true? He was pretty He was pretty emphatic about the fact that Christian Yelich was healthy at the end of the season here and that his back was not a problem, that that was not, he was not dealing with the issues that he was earlier in the season at the end. He was pretty emphatic about that. And yes, David Stearns, any management type, anybody in a, a leadership position like this, is going to be inclined to stretch the truth and massage it in their direction, right? <laughs> right. But I also don't think he would just be like a bald-faced liar about it because what does he really have to gain from it? Do, I don't know. What yeah, yeah, like what is right, what is he right, gaining right. from it? Like he's not trading him. Like that's not happening. Yeah. So like I I don't know why he would what he would have to gain from it. So I I tend to think that they're being pretty honest about it. Uh, does that mean it can't continue to be a problem and, and crop up again? No, but I, I I don't think that's a huge issue. Fingers crossed. Sure. Sure. My, my line of thinking is just, in this case, worst case scenario, he's a 30-year-old guy who has a history of back problems. And as Paul always likes to say, nobody's ever had a bad back. Everybody has a bad back. Uh, Don't so, I know it? Yeah, I was, I was gonna say <laughs> if anybody knows, it's Ryan. Um, but yeah, it, you're right. I mean, the team was pretty emphatic that they didn't think it was physical with Christian Yelich, which, in its own way, may have been a, a thinly veiled message that they think it's a psychological block or or what have you, right? A mechanical psychological thing. It's something. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah it man i don't know it it's just keston being so broken in the last year just kind of broke my heart a little bit too because obviously he he came up he won a lot of people over right away and now it's it's basically been a year and a half of the you know <laughs> and it's it, it's hard to keep that optimism but like we've all said man like that that guy is still in there somewhere at the very least could be a lefty masher right because there's no reason that he can't just continue to kill lefties and we saw him do well at AAA, so maybe it's just a confidence thing and, and I maybe mean, <laughs> here's the thing about keston in 2020 in 59 games he did hit 13 home runs so take that over a full season and that's 30 yeah like I mean, that- he's got the power yeah so, like, he was hitting for power in that season, even though the strikeout problems became a huge issue. Obviously, the batting average tanked. He did take a step forward a bit with his walks. So there was, there was like, he seemed to be kind of adjusting into be, uh, becoming more of a three-true outcome hitter in 2020. And then, you know, in in 2021, it basically became you know, a two true outcome player because the home runs went away and that doesn't work. There's no such thing as a two true outcome player. <laughs> like that's that guy just sucks. Like, uh, yeah, that's, that's becoming just basically a, a pitcher FIP player, right? Like it, it's just a strikeout or a walk. It's it. Yeah. It, it doesn't work. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe if, if there's anybody, a lockout kind of pushing back the start of spring training might help too. It's Keston. Cause I think he's just a dude who needs to get away from thinking about this for a long time. And I think in both of these cases, actually the off season probably was very much needed. So I don't know, man, we'll, we'll cross our fingers on both of them because the, the Brewers definitely have a lot riding on both of those bats right like they they were the what was expected to be the top two bats for the brewers lineup this past year and we saw what the lineup looked like uh when they weren't so Mm -hmm. yikes all right Uh, i think that'll do it for questions this week a reminder though if you do become a patron at patreon.com slash mke tailgate aside from all the goodies that you get the question priority all the extra content at that five dollar level you also get a shout out here on the uh podcast when you sign up and it looks like we do have a new patron to shout out this week ryan who do we have uh ted korath Welcome to the fold. It looks like uh, he's already asked his first question as a patron, but he, he asked it to the to the dark side of the force over on the Uh-oh. RAE side. So apparently he signed up for them, not for us. So, yeah. Ah, well, your money's just as good, too. So it, That's it's true. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, we obviously do a lot of the plugging here, but uh that question priority obviously goes both ways. You you can also use that over on the RAE side as well. We don't discriminate. Uh, we just appreciate your support across the board, across the entire uh, Milwaukee tailgate network here, I, I guess we should call it. Uh, so thanks, Ted, for signing up. A reminder, two bucks a month uh, for the rest of you is that lower level five bucks gets you the extra podcast as well. And we would also appreciate it if you do leave us a review and rating for this podcast. Uh, whether you're a, a longtime listener, somebody just checking in, just hit that uh, little star rating system there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. A reminder, Paul, when he's here, will literally read anything you write in a review if you give us five stars. So that's your little incentive there. Uh, you know, make Paul say some crazy outrageous thing. As long as it's five stars, we don't really care. Helps us get the the word out about this podcast to a bigger audience, more questions, more content, more fun things to talk about. So good for everybody all around. And while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you do listen to your podcasts. You'll get that little push alert whenever Ryan finishes editing the show and, and posts it out at the start of every week. Uh, so that subscribe button really comes in handy just to make sure you don't miss any episodes through the winter here as we kind of wait for things to start back up again. So, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> thanks for all the questions. Uh, as I've been saying, you know, especially in lockout land, we're going to need your questions to kind of help uh, give us some things to talk about. Otherwise, you know, we're going to sit here drafting old brewers and all that stuff. And 
that never goes well for me. So so please do <laughs> send in your questions uh, at MKE Tailgate on Twitter, even if you're not a patron or just, uh, you know, shout out either one of us on Twitter. Ryan's at RD Top. I'm at James L. James with a Y. Uh, follow Paul too. He's at Badger Noonan. So when he's not complaining about the Packers special teams, he'll, he'll talk some baseball with you too. Uh, all right. Uh, I think we should wrap it up for this week. In the meantime, um, we'll be back. I think next week we're not, we're not going anywhere for another week or so yet. Uh, but uh, please do send us your questions until then, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Milwaukee's tailgate. Stay well, everyone.